Hello, I'm Anthony Maiovi, and you're listening to The Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Paradise Arcade with Kyle and Eric, promoting synthwave music and culture. Welcome to another episode of the Paradise Arcade. This week we have a very special guest. We've got Jason Priest, aka Anthony. Welcome to the show, Anthony. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Anthony and not Jason yeah, Priest. Yeah, that's fine. You know, it, it makes sense that way. It um, makes sense, especially because Jason Priest has kind of expanded into a band now, so... Um, it would be unfair to the other guys. Yes, that would be... So we're, it, you're Anthony. Yes. Uh, as always, please reach out to us on social media. Follow us. Uh, our show is on all the major uh, platforms. And then obviously, Anthony's music is all over the place. The new album, Jason Priest is Missing, is coming out technically June 11th, uh, but it's on Bandcamp right now, correct? Yes, indeed. So you can check that out. I've listened to it. Um, I think it's a really interesting take in this scene that I really appreciate. And I'm really excited to um, talk about it, get into it, and and know more about you and kind of how you arrived to this particular outing. Because you have a very expansive musical background, scoring films, things of that nature. So I'm told. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because when you're in the moment of actually doing the thing, you're not really thinking about it. And then once it's all done, um, you like that you have this huge body of work that I've like I've built up over the last. Well, when did the first the first band like the first commercially available record I ever did was must have been like two thousand five. Doing so, it a bit. So it's been it's been it's been quite a while since uh since I've been actually make actively making records. And so, but I wouldn't be able to tell you how I did any of it. <laughs> just you you just arrived and there you were. Yeah. It just kind of happened slowly. Like it, it became, become part of your life. You just chip away at it. And that's incredible to be, you know, active for that long. And you've got quite the body of work. I'm always impressed by people that um, can juggle multiple genres and projects and being solo and being in a group and and be productive um it really is impressive yeah it's Celeste. Um, i mean i guess i have a lot of interests i have a lot of different musical interests and so it's like um i always want something to be genuine to me i don't, wouldn't just um um how do i best put this so in my kind of uh general electronic producer hat uh, world. Uh, sometimes you get approached by a label who asks you to make some tracks for like a single or EP release. And they're like, going, yeah, just try and make a club hit. And you're thinking, <laughs> well, if I knew how to do that, wouldn't I do that all the time? <laughs> um, and uh, so you kind of, you have to make it, it has to still be your, your voice 
Do you know what I'm thinking? I'm sure it would be mm -hmm. very simple for me to make some very generic EDM or I don't know, what is what's the popular like a like a, a dubstep thing or something like that. Like, is that still around? Is that a thing still? I well, hope not. Um it depends on what era. I I was there I was there in England when dubstep like kind of emerged and it was uh weird. It was much weirder than it became. Um but the kind of like tear out uh festival EDM dubstep thing, like I'm sure it wouldn't be that difficult, but it wouldn't really be me, because I'm not particularly interested in that kind of music. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, I you know, I think it's being what I'm hearing is that you're you're true to your voice and who you are and you can't really fake a uh, a thing that you're not into i mean i suppose you technically could because you know all music follows rules and edm yeah. club edm ha I, i'm sure you could slap together some generic i'm sure it's not you know, that difficult but it's i wouldn't i guess a, it, it wouldn't be anything i'm particularly interested interested in musically like i don't really have um I sometimes wish I had a more commercial head on my shoulders of like, going, okay, I have all these skills, I've made all these different types of music now, and now I can, I could try and sell something. But I just don't have that kind of artistic mindset. It's really much like I follow my own interests. I try and uh, conceptualize certain things, which sounds a little bit pretentious, but it's the it's the only way I can kind of. Um, justify it doing anything um case in point is the jason priest uh, project which is entirely sort of is, a, is is kind of based on a narrative of a character so everything has to be done within the confines of uh where the character is at how he's feeling and uh and what would be going on in the time that he would be operating it, if that makes I sense. I think it's it's a I think it's a marvelous conceit, honestly, because I think um, it sets limitations in some ways. That's I think that's really freeing because it what it does is it takes away maybe some clutter that's out there, production wise, music wise, all those things, and allows you to really narrow in on a mood or a yeah. what you're trying to do and. And I and I like that. I think in the alter ego, um, as a way to explore certain aspects, uh, I think it's really successful. And I think listening to the record, I think it really does come across because I feel like it was recorded in 1991. Like that's how it comes across to me. Like it, it doesn't have. I mean, there's certainly some modern production techniques, yeah, in it, but it feels some, of the era. And like lyrically, there's like some some things going on, but there's I have to at a certain point I had to fill in some of the blanks of of uh, especially the kind of emotional content of the songs because some of them are still very personal, even if uh, I'm doing it through uh, the medium of, of a character. It's, right. uh, you know, like all those cliches where the actors like talk about how they draw upon real experience in order to like flesh out the character they're playing. 
it's right it's kind of like that except i have no idea what i'm doing in terms of acting i am a terrible <laughs> terrible actor but i can kind of understand it from a theoretical point of view and i can almost certainly do it better through music than i could like on a stage or like in on a film set yeah i think there's something really i, I think instantly visceral with music that it it taps emotions in a, a pretty instantaneous way yeah. not saying that film doesn't do that uh, but it's so much more complicated there's a lot more things involved with that obviously um, where you can get together with yourself or a band and and make something um, hopefully fairly easily and and be able to achieve a, a mood or represent yourself in a particular time and not take eight years in a budget of Thirty million dollars to accomplish. <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm sure there are people who have done that also. But uh, uh, my friend described it just the other day, actually, as like the most democratic of arts, because let's take like uh, I don't want to rag on Paris Hilton too much because I feel like she gets a little thing. But she, you, you remember she had some like pop singles. Yeah, and I'm sure she sold some copies of her pop of her pop album, but eventually it didn't lead to a lasting career because if the music's no good, people won't yeah. buy it. Um, even if you're super famous, yeah, even if you're super famous, like so, you can theoretically. I know it's harder now, especially like as the medium, like the visual medium and the music pop world have like really intersected um like in the same way that like early mtv did um it still has to be good for people to to buy it and you could just like be a guy who writes a great song and then it could reach an audience which you can't really do with uh, other art forms like i'm sure right. you could make, paint a great painting but it's only really worth something for the resale do do do, do you understand what, yeah. what i mean it's like the value of something is uh, what other people are willing to pay but people yeah. are willing to pay for music because it like it gets them and if it's good then pe more people will want to have it in their life Right. You don't have to be dead. Like no, dead. you don't have to be dead. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, uh, it definitely seems to help. Typically, with uh, with painters, being dead is usually the best sales boost to their works. And poets, poets, yes. indeed. Yeah, um, I think that that is an interesting um, difference between the the two things and. And thankfully that exists because unfortunately, if you have to die for people to listen to your music, there wouldn't be a lot of musicians maybe um, as many and have such great music. So that I'm thankful for that. Although, you know, listen, I appreciate fine art and those brilliant painters, but oof, the, you know, they, it just sounds like a life of desperation. Yeah. It sounds, it poverty. Sounds, it sounds like really, it sounds like my day to day. It sounds frustrating. <laughs> like I can completely understand that you would go, you could go a bit mad because you could have a lot of talent, but you're 
the 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 marketplace like could really like ruin your self esteem. But I guess I guess that happens with music as well. Oh, absolutely. um, People go. People lose lose their mind or get frustrated because they're not getting what they thought think they might deserve out of it. Right. Which brings me back to the first bit about being genuine, I guess, is that I'm just following my interests in music because um, my business brain does not exist in a developed state enough in order to uh, make commercially viable products. There we go. Right. Yeah. And I think um, it's such an interesting... You you're obviously doing well enough to, you know, do this professionally and do and have things uh, where you're, it's not you get to continue to do it. Basically, you're not uh, washing dishes somewhere. And I'm not saying anything to anyone that no, no, that's no, no, bad. No, no. A, I mean, pre-pandemic, which is like the thing like I was pretty much living off concerts and film work like touring and uh, doing getting film commissions and of course like it's been 15 months now uh since right. people have been uh making films or they've been able to do concerts so uh i guess you often wonder about the what the future holds in terms of like do I want to go back? Do I want to go back to doing gigs? I don't know. I've been at home you, for like a year. So, do you like doing gigs? Uh, uh, genuinely, yes. It was one of the first things that, like, I, as things started to open up, of like getting a, a live band for this project together, um, because I, yeah, because I do like an audience. Yeah, and I think with with um, this particular project, um, it makes sense, and I love to see that, and love the fact that you bring a live aspect to it. Because I, you know, talking to people um, who are maybe a little older or come from a more traditional musician background, the the lamentation of synthwave is, "I'm tired of guy of a guy pressing the space bar or using a couple MIDI triggers." And calling that a live show, so I mean, bringing from a live my perspective, band. I don't really care about that because I, I was playing in bands, but I was also very much involved in like uh, the the noise scene back in Europe. Yeah, um, if someone wants to press spacebar and then just bash their fist in the air in a dark room, and a bunch of like static comes out, then I'm all for it. Um, I've never really been. If it gets the job done and it sounds good and people are having a good time, then I don't, I never really had a never really had a problem with with that. But it's not for me, right? Like, uh, like I have one project uh, called Yay Gods, which is released on a, a label out of New York called Lies. Um, they put out a bunch of Steve Moore records and Susing and uh, very like good label that who's releases I followed way before um, they put out the last album and I managed to manifest that 
entire project almost entirely improvised to do like an like an hour like 30 minutes to an hour's worth of like very dark um loopy um occult based techno i guess that's how you call it I um, my language huh? <laughs> yeah um and it's like it's way more fun to do it than the ways i was doing it before where i was trying to recreate the tracks with like samplers and drum machines and things. and now i just have a bunch of guitar pedals one synthesizer microphone plugged into loopers and then i just go for it and whatever happens happens and it's way more satisfying like i couldn't yeah. imagine doing jason priest live with just me a guitar and a microphone like i think it would kind of yeah, I was going to say, you're almost, it sounds like you're describing an exorcism. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, <laughs> that's what I was going for, yes. <laughs> that's the exact thing. That's amazing. And, you know, and I find that it's very interesting. Um, you have all of these outlets and different um, ways that you want to express yourself musically, all these subtle and not so subtle variations mm. in noise project to you know poppy um still you know a little dark wavy a little you know new ordery depeche modi brooding but more popish it's definitely a lot more pop and uh it's kind of fun for me to kind of embrace that i think so when i was a teenager and i was in bands um me and the guitarist from that band, we used to kind of like have, have I want to call it a friendly rivalry, where like mm. if someone came with us, like a song, but the song title was similar to a, 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 a pre existing song by someone else, it would be thrown out as an idea because it was too similar to something else. Uh, do, 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 if you're yeah. catching my drift. And so that meant, yeah, yeah, also yeah. meant that. When you brought chord progressions, they had to be like more original than uh, the thing because it was like a kind of game of like, almost like one upmanship of like, like sure. So you pushed. We now I was kind of grateful for it in hindsight that that were you kind of pushing yourselves to like think outside the box in terms of the way to approach the guitar and and stuff like that. So I never really got a chance to play in like any kind of like three chords and the truth punk band, if, if you if you catch my drift. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, now yeah. doing this project, I can go, yeah, I can just go A minor to F and no one's going to get upset or tell me that <laughs> it's been done to death. But it required like um, 15 years of distance in order to... Wow. Um, in order to do that properly, so... No, so longer than where, that. Oh, God, almost yeah. 20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it Don't feel satisfying? Like... Yeah. Um, a little bit. There's one chord pattern that I will not touch. And actually, if I hear it, I start to think less of the band if they've, <laughs> if they've used it. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is it a very common chord? Yeah, it's the, it's, so it's... like you It's... Um, off the top of my head, it's uh, it's the chord progression from 
from that song Halo by Beyonce. I don't dislike Beyonce, but it's like that quintessential pop. It's like D major, A major, B minor, G major. And it's in tons of songs. There's a Australian band, I think they're called, I think they're called Axis of Awesome or something like that. Anyway, they did a parody song where they just strung all these songs that had the same chord pattern together as like a medley just to prove thing and i was like oh this is amazing this is how i felt since i was a teenager <laughs> i i literally have this argument with my significant other pretty frequently where it's you like the same song over and over again the it the pro- chord progressions beats per minute almost the song lengths are all identical you just take one spice and move it over and it, you got a little bit of you know it, it it's such a mild deviation, but the core of it is exactly the same. It, I mean, it's fine. I'm I'm really not trying to seem like I'm looking down on, on people. It's just that when I hear it, I feel disappointed because I think it's a little bit lazy. Like, after like <laughs> a thousand songs written with a chord plan, and they're all trying to be like the big pop hit. Right. And, and it like it's like... Do you ever think they have a meeting like these songs that have writers upon writers and it'd be like, we got to have this just like that song, but we got to do it better. I think, I think, I, I don't know. I, doubt <laughs> I, hope, so. I hope that's what happens. We've got to have, got to have uh, my friend, a friend from years and years ago, he called it the ice cream pattern. Uh, and that's how like I think of it. It's like an ice cream van. Like it sounds fine. It's pleasant to listen to. People like it. Yeah. I don't. It actually actively turns me off. Right. I I completely understand that sentiment. Um, but that's only because music theory has ruined my my enjoyment. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's fair. If I didn't know how to play any music, like I probably wouldn't notice, and uh, I, I probably wouldn't care. But it's only from the act of writing that I'm at the point of, of like, um, oh, you could have tr- you just like just change one chord, and you've tried, you get the <laughs> same effect. Like that's it. That's all I'm asking for. Change one element. Do you feel like? I know it's I I wonder is it because of lack of music knowledge or is it because of the pursuit of well I want the hit because clearly there's certain chord progressions and what you're talking about that resonate with people and you're going to get a universal for the most part universal reaction yeah it. I think it's because the the main I think the music industry in general is in crisis like uh pretty much perpetually since the early 2000s and and the people who uh decide where the money goes but in the in the high end are very cynical i think there's a lot of cynicism and so i, I generally find in the in the on the underground um people are a little bit more like a little bit more enthusiastic you know mm-hmm. they'll try a bit harder yeah. You're not stake, you know, there's uh 
the pursuit, a genuine pursuit of interest and passion is different than this is my job and I want to get my three extra points of profit off of this thing this quarter. And I need the song to do this to achieve that. Yeah. I mean, it's a business. You're trying to sell this. You're trying to sell something real hard, you know? So why wouldn't you use it? Something tried and true. Like I get it. Yeah. But I just think it's a, I can think of loads of hits with really weird core patterns. So I have a friend uh, called Ashley who plays in this uh, kind of like industrial band called Patriarchy, who are very good. She lives in Los Angeles and she's a dear friend and she's extremely talented. And she asked me to make an arrangement of, um, uh, I, I know, I've got to double check with that. I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, Love Loving the Alien by David Bowie. Do you know this song? Uh, no. I wasn't I'll, overly uh... familiar with it, but like his wife said it was the, the her favorite song that he'd ever written. And it's so odd. But it's pure pop. It's like really super David Bowie. It's like catchy, uh, but it's... Um, progression-wise, arrangement-wise, it's really odd. And I feel like people do try, and when they do try, then I will applaud them. I'm not even that big a David Bowie fan, but it was like, you know, um, I want to say game recognize game. There we go. But I was like, oh, good for you, David Bowie. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've always appreciated... I don't love every single thing he's ever put out. And, you know, obviously I think it's probably true with a lot of people you love specifically with him, certain albums more than others because of whatever he's going to accomplish. But I always appreciate the fact that he just does what he wants to do and he'll get really weird and he'll know full on. It's not going to be a successful album. It's not going to get love and he's going to do it anyways. I mean, there's a difference between a David Bowie unsuccessful album and an unsuccessful album that I've done. Yeah. For example, <laughs> That's fair. That's very um, fair. Uh, You're not going to re- love everything that Rush puts out. No, you don't. Have to, but like, what? It's like I'm trying to think if there's any band that like released an album that sold so poorly it kind of like ruined their career. Like this definitely been bands that put out terrible albums that have uh, that somehow didn't ruin their career yeah i don't know if it's contracts or or you know just the being persistent but yeah there's definitely been i think of like there's a lot of i think bands from like the 2000s that i could think of that like had one album or one hit and then it just all fell apart so, um, and then they're not around anymore. Cause I, I kind of think of like when, um, new metal came about and early two thousands, like record labels were trying to pump out as many new metal bands as possible. Yeah. And it was even more cynical than when grunge was around. Um, cause I think there was just genuinely probably more alternative, um, 
music that was happening. Uh, and it just seems like some of these band names and things that they just came and went in a blink of an eye. But I also think that around the same time, the cost of actually making a record came down quite a bit because this was like, uh, when I was a teenager, we when we went to the studio, we recorded on tape. And then when in my 20s, when we went to the studio, we recorded on Pro Tools. And the cost of a Pro Tools session was significantly cheaper than right uh like then you know tape machine needs maintenance you have to buy tape <laughs> that's um tape isn't cheap um yeah and i would imagine the mastering components all the things that go into splicing things together that's a that's quite a process yeah there's like there's a whole um there's a whole other thing and in the early 2000s i think this is when you would have started having people you can just go in you can get into the studio, you can get the band to record, you can edit them to all hell into a, a sellable product. They don't even have to be like super talented. Like I think this is also why there was such an explosion in that kind of um that kind of music. Mediocrity. Yes. Yeah, because it's like so much easier to make the product. That's my, so, that's my yeah. insightful thing that I've, the one insightful thing that I'll say. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think you've got, you've probably, I mean, you've got it right on the, the proliferation of, of uh, technology that makes it easier to squeeze blood from stone, basically. Yeah. Make it a lot easier. Not that it's a bad thing at all. Like, I think, like, no, just the no. audio in, like, has uh, completely, has, has made it, uh, making a record so much more accessible to uh, regular people. Absolutely. Um, like, without doubt, as soon as I could work out how to sequence stuff, that's what I was doing, and now we're having this conversation. So it's like right, exactly. digital audio and, and cheap recording technology has taken me to this moment, so I, I'm not going to be, I'm not, it's not like I'm a snob about it. No. And 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 I also want to clarify that, uh, not being a snob about it, just a little cynical because of major record companies. Oh, but you can but be cynical about new metal. I think that's absolutely acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But so you know, like the, this month, it was bad. It was really bad. It yeah. was really bad. Yeah. And now there's a re. I'm here's the thing. It's like the term "what's old is new again." You know that there's going to be a swing back through of that at some point and i yeah most likely I, um, i'd be I'm curious about who who survives though i still see people talking passionately about deftones yeah um, i still see people talking about corn up until a certain era um but i don't know I can't really think of any like who was the one of the worst new metal bands I ever heard. That's a lot of them. Yeah, no, that's, not help, that's not helping me narrow it down. Like, it's gone out of my mind, so I can't even. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure there's a terrible band that someone insert band X. Insert band. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, I'll see what no. happens. 
Um, so let's loop back around to yeah, Jason sorry. Priest. No worries. <laughs> we do. T- this is oh, anyone listening to the show track. knows. Yeah, this is how it works. Um, so with with this record, what what was the the genesis of it? You know, because it not only is it a another character, um, alter ego, but it's also Jason Priest is missing. So there's a there's a concept behind it as yes. well. That's, How did that come about? So the first album was kind of supposed to be a little bit, uh, I want to say doe-eyed. Um, the story goes that like had some success in the UK, moved to New York, got a uh, like a, a record deal, you know, hanging out in the discotheques with the cool kids, um, started to mix like some of the more kind of post-punky sounds with more of the New York disco stuff, but it's a it's a lot more optimistic a record, King Kill 33. And then during the process of writing and recording the second one, I was kind of at a crossroads because I had a few songs that I really liked and then songs that I just couldn't finish the lyrics for. So I asked my friend friend Haley, who's Mecca Maiko, to to do some guest vocals on one and then um, Aaron from the Lingo uh, hooked me up with the Let Em Riot guy, and he did another one. And so th- the story became that Jason had become so strung out on his own success that he was unable to finish the record. Uh, and that's the Nightmare Boy EP. And so I was thinking about what was going to happen with the third record whilst I was working on it. And the idea became, first, the first idea I had is actually that uh, I should kill him off and then form a band that's like a tribute band. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Like, it was a really it's funny a, idea. Good. Like, there's the only band that exists, plays all the songs, but like as tribute, like a covers band. Um. But then I started writing more. I had more songs than uh, I could fit on the record. Um, and the pandemic came and I was really like, okay, I need to put this out because I need, I need an income. Um, so I put it out digitally until the label contacted me about doing the proper release and then I removed it. Uh, so the idea morphed from killing him off to Uh, Jason Priest has burnt all his bridges in the US and he's moved back to London and gone into rehab. And now he's sober, but he's kind of reflecting on his life of excess. Um, And, but he's like, uh, he's starting to question like who he is where he's been and then sort of the concept of like oh jason priest is missing that's where that all came from interesting i i really like the um um the thought behind it and certainly that has to influence the songs and in the mind space that they come from then yeah with There's that also story. sonic elements that i really like enjoyed interacting like so he's back in he's back in London so he's like right at the beginning of uh, I guess 
all the bands that were influenced by all the post-punk bands. So he would have been like listening to Slow Dive and My Bloody Valentine and a lot of the shoegazy stuff that was like right. around in the uh, like late eighties, early nineties. And so it's like kind of interesting, but uh, it's like how would best put it? Um, empowerment through ego. So he's the character is realizing that the music that he helped pioneer now has a younger audience. And so he's trying to tap into that. If that makes sense. So there's yeah. a, there's a few there's a lot more guitar on this record. Um and there's a lot more uh, a lot more kind of shoegazy post punk elements mixed in with the kind of more synth wavy disco elements. I like that. That's uh that thoughtfulness as to how to compose um the songs and put the album together is really, I think that's really um, cool. And I, and I like, cause it, it does reflect in the music itself. And I like that there is um, oh, this you. anchor to that era. Um, and like a very, it feels like a very sincere, natural way. It doesn't feel like it's um, imitating, I guess maybe, you know, there's a lot of things where like people that are nostalgic about a thing they never lived through. So they have like, yeah. You know, like they they have the the media they listen to the songs, but then the the experience of actually living in that era has another thing on t- a level. Yeah, on I mean, top I'm in the same exact way with the Tallow Disco. Like, I mean, technically, I lived through that era, um, but like, I don't remember it. And like, honestly, I didn't even know those re- a lot of those records existed until I was like 26. So, um, for me, it's like this kind of fantasy of like. 1980s Italy, which really exists only only exists in my head, but it's informed by that music of like this nostalgia right. for like a lost time that I know never existed. There's uh, a specific term for that, and I forget what it is. Um, it seems like the word either the Germans or the Japanese might have have for uh, <laughs> probably. You leave it up to either one of those to create um, a, a word for something so intangible but it's a, so it's it's also yeah it's like what we said before it's like once you put the once you build a frame around what you're trying to do it's actually a lot easier to do so for example in the next album which is already written um there's even more of those kind of shoegaze elements but also uh, like the early days of uh, rave and sampling, like so, there's a lot more use of. Um, I don't want to use the word break beats, but definitely like sampling sampled drums as opposed to like sequenced drums. If you if you know what I mean, right? Like yeah, I know what you're saying. In. And the stuff I'm working on now is even like, which I guess will be for the record afterwards. Like, even has like elements of like piano house in it and um it's the it's <laughs> i gotta laugh about it because it's even funny to me it's like uh, the beginnings of you know how every indie band goes through a gospel phase oh my god yes yeah, so, like, <laughs> <laughs> so that those are the elements that are coming in on the, the the one i'm working on now 
I was just thinking about taking a break, but I guess I'm not. So, is it? Um, so, are, are you like primarily focused on the Jason Priest records, or are you doing other stuff? Like, and then how do you differentiate the projects at this it, point? Is it entirely just... depends on my mood and what needs to be done. So, for example, I have. Um, I have another band here now, uh, which is more of like an industrial noise rock thing, but we're all actively writing songs together. So we get together, we come up with like some parts. We've got a very strict no riffing policy. So uh, I don't tend to write guitar parts. They're very uh, piercing or atonal and the bass holds down the kind of more rock elements. So when I'm in the room with those guys, then I'm working on that. Um, when I get a day to myself, if someone requests a Yay Gods release, then I spend some time in the studio and I try and work on that. When I'm not doing that, then I'll either uh, start messing around with sounds or work on Jason Priest stuff. And if so someone Jason says, oh, can you do some film music? Then I I put J the Jason playset down, and then I concentrate on that. So does the the Jason Priest thing uh, allow you to kind of just really let loose in the way that you want to? I mean, yeah, it it's like it's kind of like you're trying to make records that you would have liked when you were a teenager. If that if that makes sense, yeah, like, because I remember the nineties like more than the, the 80s you know um but i also know that there's a finite time period and there's also a moment where i have to consider um at what point i do the david bowie-esque um, dr um questionable drum and bass album but um i don't know whether <laughs> you could make it and never release it i could make it and never release it, it. it's like you know I mean, there's enough songs. I'm sure we could tour for a, tour for a while without the pressure of having to make new material for for a while. I, yeah. I feel like it's um it's only because the the lockdown gave me so much time to work on music that um I have all this stuff ready to go. Like I have the next album ready, almost ready to go. That's impressive, and I think um how did the the pandemic do on on your mental health that's a that's a pretty major event for the entire world and some artists uh didn't fare so well they, no. i think a lot of pe people had the anticipation of like i'm going to create so much music and stuff it's gonna be crazy and then i've seen some people go away because it, it collapsed their mental health yep um it's hard to do things in a sometimes it's hard to do things in a vacuum like the nice thing about music is that it's kind of um, it's like a feedback loop in the sense of like, so you're working on it and then you start enjoying it. And so you work on it more and then you keep working on it and you get the sense of enjoyment and then you send it out into the world and then you continue to get enjoyment from it because of other people's enjoyment from it. Um, more so like, I don't really understand, like I can completely understand how you would go crazy as a filmmaker because you, basically make this thing in in a vacuum and then send it out into the world and then maybe if you're lucky some 
uh, really miserable people will pick it apart on the internet <laughs> and tell you how much you've wasted your time. And it's like, oh my God, it's that's it's, it's so sad. Um, which you don't really have that with music, like like the most no, it you get is it... those old composer reacts videos where this guy talks talks enthusiastically <laughs> about about music theory and arrangement, and it's like, yeah. Most of the time you go, through, oh, I don't like that. Or go, I really right. like this. And I feel like a lot of times we're like, in music at least, bad publicity is still publicity, which will make people listen to it because, yeah. you know, it's three minutes long. Whereas a movie, it's like, it could tank a whole movie. Uh, you know, and it's basically so much money. A, so much money and so much time. Like a very small amount of people can berate a studio to give them a different cut of a movie that wouldn't have been good anyways. Yeah, I mean, and then when I that, movie... that I, I'm on a boycott of all those DC and Marvel movies. Like, I'll, if you if people like them, it's absolutely fine. I'm not making a yeah. judgment call on 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 anyone. It's just I went with some friends to the cinema. It was like we're just going to go to the cinema. I watched that uh, Captain Marvel movie. And I was like, going, well, there's no stakes, are there? There's no stakes in this movie. I'm sure she'll be fine. <laughs> right. Like, I, right. Like, I'm like 90% certain that she'll be fine. Probably like, going to get out at the end. They're going to just like pull the, like, you know, pull the hood off. And it turns out that, you know, maybe Kurt Russell is the thing. I doubt that's going to happen. Like, and so I just yeah. and yeah, and then I realized that all those movies are the same. Like, mm-hmm. like there's no stakes. It's just like, um, there's no excitement for me there. That they're not made for me. So I like I don't watch any of those, those, don't watch any of those movies. But for example, there was a someone who was making a YouTube video about um, the M Night Shyamalan movie, uh, Lady in the Water. Because they, they, they said it. I can't remember who it was, but it was like someone going, "That's the worst movie he's ever made," and I watched it because of that, and I quite liked it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> because of all the things that they said were poor about it, I was like, "No, oh, I'm like, I'm like into this. It's like it's so bad that I quite like it." So, I would yeah, say that's not his worst movie though either. Which would you say is his worst movie? Uh, probably the happening. The happening was more boring than Lady in the Water, for sure. Definitely. Um, I, I I loved some of like the best parts of the movie were shown in the trailer, and that's that he could have ended there. Basically, I like really the, liked the last couple of movies he did. Yeah, like I I, I liked Split a lot. I thought it was good. I unfortunately haven't seen Split huh. or Mr. Glass. Uh, yeah, they were both. I thought they were both pretty good. Yeah, he, I, I think you know he takes an inversion of superhero because you know he's not tied to Marvel or DC, so he could actually do something that is probably a lot more interesting. And than, there's, there's you know. stakes, you know. Like I, I didn't know where it was going to go. That's the thing that like, I liked about it was like, I guess there's. Um, those big temple movies, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, there's going to be a whole bunch of talking. There's going to be a whole bunch yeah. of people like me going, why are they doing any of this? And then there'll be a big <laughs> fight sequence where loads of CGI buildings blow up. And then I go, 
Well, it's something I saw. <laughs> I hear I'm that. Say I think that about movies from now on. It's something I saw. It's like a it's like a okay meal. It's something I ate. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, I it, it was a thing. Uh, yeah, I you know, and you're right. I think those movies are are made. They're opiate for the masses. You know, yeah, like it's, I think it's fun. It's like there's a reason why people really like McDonald's. Like it's fine, but it's not for me. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that I want like uh, uh, like some kind of artisanal thing or thing, but like you know, I don't know, throw a jalapeno in there. See how that is. <laughs> I'm all for that. Like, how, yeah. Like, can you bring your happen? own? You can also say, "I don't like this." In New Haven, it's 50 degrees Fahrenheit with cloudy skies. Alexa, stop. <laughs> what? Wow. Alexa's getting all on Alexa. I can't even remember what I was saying. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. This is Alexa right now. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's really, I mean, uh, tying it all back, you know, we're talking about like music and being mass produced and kind of tying back to that universal song progression, chord progressions, and the difference with that, with Jason Priest being a thing where you really get to let loose and, and do your thing that you want to make, make the records that you wanted to listen to when yeah. you were younger. Yeah, just like do, do follow my own interests you know because it's certainly pretty well as like as a working method like for the entire time i've been making records and sometimes you make something and like it resonates with people and sometimes you make something and like uh, people don't get it at all but it's fine is there um when you're 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 playing is there any anything of your music that you're like if i hear this one more time i'm gonna i'm gonna like go mad um, um that's a good one um uh no i quite like i quite like my music <laughs> <laughs> um because you know you sit with the song you you know when you you're writing I mean, a I song you're developing the time, like, sure records like um like i very rarely will listen to like I mean, normally there's a progression because you live with a record for months and months. Right. And then you listen to the final mixes before you send them off. You listen to the masters when you get them back. If you, if it's going on vinyl, then you listen to the test pressings. And then when I get the final version with the artwork and everything, I normally give it a listen through. And then I put it on the shelf and then I don't really think about it. So with with the Jason Priest uh, project, are you going to tour on it? I hope so. We're we're ready to go. We have like an hour's worth of material like rehearsed and ready to go. We're just waiting for stuff to open back up and for people to express an interest in booking us. But then, then we'll do it. Okay, because I'm just I'm really curious how um, a live show of your music would would be how how what that would feel like and so we have uh with there's three of us um i'm playing uh i'm, I'm singing uh occasionally playing synths uh, uh, and occasionally playing guitar and occasionally playing bass and then uh, there's a guitar player who 
occasionally plays bass and occasionally plays synth. And then there's a synth player who occasionally plays bass. It's musical chairs it's on sort of stage live. Yeah, it's like whatever's needed for the songs. And then we've really tried to like strip back as much of the backing track as possible. And but and then I have a drum dedicated drum machine to take care of all the drums. So everything sounds big and 80s. God, I was going to say, it's curious, because uh, I feel like a lot of um, synthwave acts, as they get bigger, they actually incorporate live drums into their sets. I mean, that would be sets. great, but my rehearsal room slash studio is tiny, and I have no <laughs> idea where we would, how we would, I'd have to move into a bigger place. Like, there's just, there isn't the room to have like a... a so lot. it's not a no. It's just a not yet. It's it's definitely a not yet, but it's also like the, I don't know. I kind of like working with a drum machine, um, especially for, you, for this project. But who knows? You know, maybe that something comes along and there's. Um, plus, like if we were to tour, we could do it in a car as opposed to having to hire a van. You know, it's right. like there's logistic costs as well as. Uh, like and for example, like the the noise rock band that I'm playing in, we'd have to have a van because we'd be bringing towers of amps as well, and as well as a drum kit, you know. But the point is to be obscenely loud. So, whereas the the Jason Priest band is is just trying to do the songs as well as we can live. And is how are you translating? the 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 Jason Priest songs as they're recorded into the into live thing. Are you trying to like um give them an extra special kind of angle because they're live as opposed to like here's the track just exactly as it was on the no, record. No, it's definitely not exactly as it was. Um the keyboard player has a very beautiful um eighties Roland Juno six analog polysynth, which just it sounds beautiful, like even plugged directly into the PA without effects. It sounds, uh, it's like one giant sweet spot in terms of sound design. You just move the slider slightly and it sounds great. Move it, move another slider slightly, it still sounds great. No matter where you put the, the, the parameters, like it always sounds good. But at the same time, there's no presets on it. So the synth is always gonna sound the way it does. Um, and we just kind of took that as like a general rule of like how to translate these songs. For example, uh, the guitar player, when he's playing synth on one song, we just made the sound for that song, but he's only playing synth on that song. I've, um, on my synthesizer, I've only got one patch and then I use that one patch for all the songs, but it works. Like, I don't think anyone's gonna go, yeah, well, you know, it sounded slightly different, so, I want my money back. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe no, maybe. I feel uh, like it's that's inevitable. <laughs> yeah, uh, it sounds exciting to me. Honestly, I like that. Um, it just gives it a more like organic live feel, yeah, a different and experience. It's fun, it's fun as well. It's really fun to play. Like the songs, like some of the songs are maybe a bit dour, but like. Or, or a bit like melancholics, but it's definitely 
they're definitely fun to play and to listen to. And so people, it'd be the kind of thing people could go out dancing. Be good. We're not doing many mm-hmm. slow numbers. We're doing all yeah, the I've, tempo I've, ones. There you go. I mean, that makes sense. You want to get the energy. And, and I was just hoping, I'm, I'm curious to, you know, like you're talking about like the feedback loop of earlier, like the reason you do it, you know, you get through all these iterations and then you get the public reaction, which is positive, hopefully, and that drives you further. And I think there's no more like instant validation of that than playing a concert. Yeah, because absolutely. if it's, if it's, hitting the crowd you know and you you take that energy and it feeds back into your performance because i would imagine like i've never performed live traditionally in that kind of way but i would imagine it's pretty exhausting standing up on a stage for an hour trying to emote and play and, and do all of these things honestly um, but, like the, if, it's always flown by for me like i've never done many concerts i haven't done many concerts where like it felt like work I can I can say that honestly. Uh, it's always been like a blast, especially like doing more experimental stuff and more improvised things. Um, yeah, it's really fun. So you, I mean, you've got potential really to be fairly busy here, quick because I I think things are opening up. I know in, yeah. in our area, um, venues are looking; they're pursuing stuff pretty hard. Um, as early as I think, maybe next month to start going again. Yeah, um, I got con- I've, I've had contact for some other projects, but uh, I really um, I moved it. It got you know, I, not I moved it. It got moved a month, which kind of was fine for me. Like it feels like dipping my toe in the water of actually being flown to another place to do a show, and it's just me. So it's like I feel like I'll have a better sense of like how things are actually going to be once I've done that one show. So what is a, uh, what's a dream lineup for Jason Priest? Like it's Jason Priest and who else? Who do you think fits into a... Of other bands. Pa- other bands, a package, if you will. Um, I mean, I mean, I know the, the Drive Majesty boys. Um, I did a remix for them um, years ago uh, and, and I love them both and... Uh, it would be great to play with them. Um, I really like that band, Kareem. I think we would fit really well uh, with them. Uh, oh, God. Who else would be good to perform with? Um, I guess the Cats from Boy Harsha would be good. Um, it's definitely the more gothic end of things. I don't know who else would be. Mm-hmm. I like the packages you're putting together. Um, I don't I don't know. Like who would be good? It seems like there's all this kind of crossover between like uh, the industrial scene and the goth scene and the kind of more synth synthy scene. Mm-hmm. But um who else is Whose music do I like? Oh my god! I've just what is it? There's a fantastic. Um, uh, there's a, a guy called, called Otro Tasha. I really like his music, uh, but though it's definitely more electro. Um, 
Uh, there's a guy who I actually released on Jalo Disco called Horde. I, I think we would fit well with his project. Um, honestly, like I'm so used to just playing wherever that like I would just do whatever. Just I don't want to play. I don't think we'd do well with any like proper punk bands or any like metal core people. Probably not. Um, you never know. But I would totally like. I could totally see it working with. Uh, I don't know there's elements that I think would work really well with like I don't know opening for like LCD sound system or something like that. You know, there's definitely. Um, I think there's a lot of shared influences between the groups, although maybe they're not so obvious to some people. <laughs> I I I think it's great, and the reason why I ask that question is because I always find it interesting. Um, sort of bands, do they want to stick? with where they know they're going to get the, the reaction or do they take a chance and ex potentially expand an audience? So, you know, Kyle and I have talked to people where they're like, I like touring with, you know, with rock bands because it's a, it's a 180. If I can win over that audience, I know that I've, that I've done something. Yeah. Some, some people are more like, yeah, I like the, to stay in the, in the, the lane of electronic music or dance music or whatever it is. And, or some people are like, Put a stage up and I'll play. I think the only difference is like if you with the with the club world, like the like, and I mean like the dance music world, is that it's yeah. um it's much trickier to try and do this kind of show for a uh, like for a, for an audience that's basically gone to like drink too much and go out dancing, um, like in a dark room listening to repetitive electronic music. I love that stuff to death. It's not a, a slight on those people at all. It's just that I know it's a hard, it's, it's hard and people are not there to see you. Maybe ten, like half the audience will absolutely love it that you're a proper band, but some people like won't and you'll end up ruining, ruining their night. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd rather not ruin someone's <laughs> night if I'm honest. It's very kind. It's, it's very kind. Um, because I've had that happen to me when I was doing the old chaotic Anthony Miovi shows when I was performing with a, with a wireless microphone and a Nintendo Wii remote controlling my laptop. And I was basically singing in the audience. Half of it loved it. They like absolutely loved it. They, because you could dance to it still. It was it aesthetically fit with all the music that was going on around it. But some people just like, oh, well, I'm going now. I don't, I didn't want to hear someone sing. I just want to lose myself in the music. And it's absolutely fine. And I totally get why they didn't like it. Um, and I feel like when you kind of in this, if you can play in this kind of in like indie electronica world, you're going to find a much more sympathetic audience. But without doubt, because things are kind of set in this retro world, you are dealing with an element of camp that cannot be ignored. Um, so I don't know is the short answer. I don't want to play with any uh, meathead metal people, though. Like that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean that's really fair. I, I, I that's a pretty much a universal consensus. If you're, you know, in a dance music or darker things, like that's a very particular thing. It's not your thing. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. 
Nope. Yeah. I don't blame you. I don't. Yeah. Go ahead. No, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Fuck him. That's, that's my conclusion. Fuck him. That's cool. That's great. Uh, what else do you want to talk about uh, with the record? Um, any points of interest or um, um, things that we haven't covered? No, I, I think we've been pretty thorough. We've been talking for like almost an hour and a half now. Um, no, I, I cool. can't really think of much stuff that we, we didn't we didn't so, cover. So I, I do want to mention something. We touched sure. on it before we started recording, but um, what I'm really curious to know, and I'm sure other people would like to know is, how did you come upon this character, this Jason Priest character? What was the genesis for that? Oh, Jason Priest uh, came to me while I was taking a shower, and it made me laugh a lot um, because it sounded like uh, it sounded kind of like a prick. <laughs> um, but he it seemed like you know he had like a cool haircut and he had a sweet jacket. And he was like a cool guy, like that everyone wanted to be pals with because he was like good looking, and uh, like he's he's not really me at all. It's like a, it's a projection. And then I was thinking, hey, maybe this is like this is a good character because you can kind of play with all these elements of like and the trappings of 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 fame and the pursuit of fame, um, and. The fact that it was almost Jason Priestley and almost Judas Priest made me made me made me chuckle quite a lot. I love, um, I, love I know, and I guess conceit. internally I'm still chuckling. I, you know, I relate to you so hard <laughs> on this because, like, I have these little things in my mind that I absolutely think are so funny, and to try and even explain it to another person why it's so funny like i'm at a loss so the fact that you're able to like have something that you found is really funny and then build an entire thing around it and release it into the world is impressive well it's kind of and one of those things that, like you just like you came it comes to you and you go oh that's really funny and then you laugh about it and then and then you go like oh i know what this person looks like and then oh i almost know what this person thinks like about oh this person has like is I can I can imagine an entire world based around this name purely from this very like generic name. And that was that's I, what that's what cracked me up about. And honestly, like I and I had my own thoughts. So let me tell you my thoughts when I when Please. I learned about Jason Priest and the the conceit. There was two things. I'm like, oh, this is a this is a play. This has got to be a play on Jason Priestley. It's got to be like right there, right up to the line. And then I'm like, is and then the, like Jason Priest goes missing. I'm like, is this an Eddie and the Cruisers sort of like throwback? Do you guys know that movie? Um, I, I don't actually. So Eddie and the Cruisers came out in like 1983. And it's about a rock star who faked his own death because he got to the height of fame, saw what it was. And then, oh, that's amazing! His... What's it called? I'm gonna write this down. Eddie and the Cruisers. And um, and so he cra- he crashes his car, goes missing. But the the call of the music, like he can't put it down. So he puts together a different band under a different name, and basically goes through the same thing all over again. <laughs> As to somehow that no one recognizes 
that it's the same dude is beyond me. But I think the the that's what I was like, oh, is this is he doing a riff on this idea? Uh, no, but but subtly I am. Like that's this is this is a there's definitely a like a connection thing, but I've never heard of this. This is like some wonderful um synchronicity. Yeah. Um I, I'm gonna find this and I'm gonna watch it. Possibly even tonight. Fuel for more albums right here. There you go. It's it's such an interesting conceit for a movie. Watch it. Tell me what you think. It was my the reason why I know and like I have it at like the top of my head, it was my stepfather's favorite movie of all time. Like we had to watch it once a month. Oh wow. For seventeen years. <laughs> um so sadly he passed away, but that was just it was one of his things that he always he loved that movie and so i know i i I got it there i've always got it there so check it out and you might have some there's a sequel to it too i think there's eddie and the cruisers too which at that point how the fuck do you do that and then do it again like almost get famous again it's bizarre i don't i don't have an answer for any of these things um you will but you i will have an I'm, answer I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to this now this sounds great all right <laughs> i think on that note it's a perfect way to close out the show well thank you so um, much for having me yeah it's been a, it's been a joy thank you thank for you taking the you. time until next time this is eric Paradise I can't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, paradise I can't.